Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have an amazing guest. You know, we have a guest that uh, has done it so many times and so successfully so that it's, uh, it's pretty inspiring. You know, we're going to be talking about building, scaling, financing, exiting, going public, you know, all types of M&A is there, you know, like the story also of how he built his first company, raising capital with no experience, also breakthroughs in business models. We're also going to be talking about building a mission-driven business and then also what he's doing now, you know, and also figuring out product market fit. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Brian Lee. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Alejandro. Happy to be here. So quite the childhood you had, Brian, you know, doing a walk through memory lane here, born in South Korea and then also raised in Orange County. Walk us through your upbringings. How was life growing up? Yeah, well, I was born in South Korea, uh, but came out here with my parents um, when I was just a, a kid. Grew up in Orange County, California, uh, in an area called Laguna Hills, and then eventually Huntington Beach. But my childhood was pretty, pretty normal, um, very Korean-American in a lot of ways. We celebrated both traditions of Korea and the American traditions. So, for example, I remember my earliest Halloweens. Uh, my mom would dress me up in a very traditional Korean hanbok. <laughs> so that was my Halloween costume, even though it was traditional Korean uh, wear. So, um, yeah, so a very, very interesting background there. I uh, learned a lot from my dad, who was also an entrepreneur, uh, which kind of sowed the seeds in me to, to go start some companies. Now, it's really interesting here because you had already the uh, the seed planted there, you know, with the with the family, you know, and I'm sure that you know, you learned quite a bit, you know, having your family coming here and seeing them, you know, working so hard to give you guys a better future. So I guess, how do you think that shaped you up too? I think it really shaped me. Um, I think the immigrant story for so many of us really shapes who you become. Uh, so, you know, I, I, when I was younger, I didn't quite realize, you know, what I was taking in. But when we came to this country, to the United States, my dad flew out here with me, my sister, my older sister, and then uh, and my mom, two pieces of luggage and $500. That's how we started our life here in America. And I saw my father, who was educated in Korea, uh, went to college, and so did my mom, but they didn't speak English. And so my mom worked a job on a, in the factory. It was bare aspirin back, back in the day. And she would actually work the factory line where she counted 25 pills to a bottle. Uh, that was her job. Um, and then my, my dad worked at a furniture factory making furniture. Uh, and then at night, we'd work in the, the fields of Orange County uh, picking oranges. So those were his two jobs. And I just watched them grow. Um, eventually, my dad started his own company. Uh, so it's a long story, but he moved from restaurant furniture, making a furniture to selling it and then getting into restaurant supplies and so forth. So, and then ended up building a pretty substantial business in stainless steel utensils. Um, so that's the story of my dad and my childhood uh, growing up. We grew up, I remember just being, honestly, I, I, I didn't know we were poor at the time, but we were pretty poor. You know, we were living in a, a one bedroom apartment and, and just trying to make ends meet. I remember my mom would shop at the thrift shops and take me and my sister with her and 
you know, our, our new, our clothes for the, the new school year would be from thrift stores. So that's how we kind of started our life here in America. That's incredible. Now, obviously you had the uh, seed planted too when it came to the drive for business. So I guess my, my question here is the seed was planted. Why did you decide to go? Obviously you did the undergrad and you studied their economics at UCLA, but the law degree and becoming a lawyer. I mean, where is that coming from, Brian? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great question. Um, part of it is because my, my father eventually, you know, was running a pretty successful company uh, in stainless steel and wanted me to come work with him. And I honestly just wanted to set my own path and create my own career. And so I was kind of delaying and kind of punching on it. Um, and I remember when I was at UCLA for undergrad, I had a great time in college. You know, it was, it was really fun for me. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to keep at school. Uh, and I, I, was, I was thinking, well, I could go to law school, and that's three more years of trying to figure out what I really want to do. I actually never went to law school with the intent of becoming a lawyer. I went to law school with the idea that it would give me three more years to figure things out. Um, and decide whether or not I wanted to go work with my dad or go start something else. So, so then let's talk about this for, for a minute because you ended up becoming a lawyer. And uh, you were a lawyer in, in some of the best firms. I mean, you were, you were a lawyer at Skadden, you know, when you literally, you know, like took the, um, the idea of, uh, of, of maybe, you know, like branching out into, into business, no? So what was that? What was that uh, incubation process? You know, obviously at this point you're making a good salary. You've done, you know, very well. You've you've been able to achieve going to one of the best firms that a lawyer could could dream of. So now you're thinking about leaving that career aside and and venturing into the unknown. I mean, how how did that come up? Yeah, you know, I think. I think deep down, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, that I was wanted to start something and build something. Um, again, I ended up in law school because I thought it would just give me more time. I still didn't figure it out. Ended up that all my friends started taking jobs at law firms. So I was like, well, maybe I should go do that. And so I went and did that. I, I did enjoy um, the people that I worked with at the law firm. I just wasn't getting as much fulfillment out of it as I wanted in terms of just personal fulfillment. Um, and I just, you know, I, I think I was kind of born with an entrepreneurial spirit. I think many people are. Not only just watching my dad and working with him during the summers and so forth, but it was just more, I always come up with ideas. You know, I'm an idea generator, right? Every day I come up with another idea. It's a blessing and a curse, really. But, you know, I, I think, see things and I see a service and I think it can be improved. I see a product, I think it'd be better, you know, and so forth. So. You know, just ideas galore. Um, in terms of the idea for LegalZoom, it really came about uh, very early uh, with uh, my business partner, Brian Liu, that I started it with. He was uh, a friend of mine from law school, my best friend from law school. We were just drumming up different ideas, and you know, we both realized that a lot of the documents that we were filing with the law firms that we were working with were very straightforward, were very simple type of documents. Um, but we would still kind of charge a pretty high margin to our our clients uh, in the end, truthfully, because you know you charge by the hour, and if something takes ten minutes, you still have a minimum charge and so forth. So we realized a lot of these documents could be automated, 
And that was like the genesis, the idea for, for LegalZoom was just automating very simple legal documents using the internet, which was very new at the time. This is back in 1998, 1999 is when we started drumming up the idea. So then for LegalZoom, you know, I guess for the people that are listening, what ended up being the business model of the company? How are you guys making money there? Yeah, so we would charge per document. So people would make a, a last will and testament on LegalZoom or, you know, a living trust or have us form a corporation for them or, or file a trademark. These are all very simple, straightforward procedures, uh, legal processes and documents that we would generate online and then do the filing work for the client and so forth. And then um, we'd charge for per document. So for example, like uh, I remember our last one in Testament when we started was like $99. So for LegalZoom also, it was the first time that you guys had to raise money. You know, I'm sure that... Uh... That was not easy. What was that experience like? Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. It was. It was pretty hard because um, our very first venture capital meeting was the day that Nasdaq crashed uh, back in two thousand. Uh, two thousand two thousand one timeframe is when we, we were getting going on LegalZoom, um, and that's when we tried to raise some capital. And I remember the very first meeting we took was with um, Brian Liu's uncle at the time, who was a venture capitalist. And he, I remember he answered the door and, and sat us down and said, do you know what's happening? We're like, yeah, there's a little hiccup in the market. You know, the NASDAQ was way down. All the internet stocks were getting beaten up. And he looked at us and said, it's over. And we said, we said what, what's over? He said, the internet, it's done. And he says, it's not coming back for a very long time, if ever. This is what he told us. And we're like, we're like, what do you mean? And it's like, and, and he, I remember he said, you should go get your jobs back because we had quit our jobs at the law firms at the time to go start LegalZoom. And I remember Brian and I sat across the street for lunch after that meeting and we were both very depressed. We're like, well, what do you think? Should we go get our jobs back? And I remember we looked at each other and we said, well, how much do you really believe in this idea? And the idea for LegalZoom about automating legal processes and making it making the law much more affordable for the masses. And both of us said 100%. 100% someone would rather pay $99 for a will over thousands of dollars, right? Or forming a corporation, they'd rather pay $150 versus $2,000. It just made so much sense to us. And it could be so much more efficient. And, and so we both thought, you know what, even if we don't raise a lot of capital, we're just going to go try. We're going to go do this. So the only money we raised initially was from my parents, his parents, um, and from a couple relatives. We raised $50,000 in total to start LegalZoom. Uh, this is back in 99, I think it was. or two, no, I'm sorry, 2000. So that was it. And we couldn't raise any more money because the NASDAQ crashed and all the venture capitalists said no. Um, so we just took that little bit of money and we, we started working out of my condo at the time. Uh, met Eddie Hartman, who was our co-founding CTO, and he helped build the site and so forth. And we got lucky. We got lucky at LegalZoom, truthfully, because we were, not a lot of people know this, but we were the one of the earliest, earliest advertisers um, on a site called GoTo, which was one of the, which it was the first paid search engine. GoTo, eventually that technology eventually powered, you know, Google search and Yahoo and everything else. But we were very early. We were paying one cent per click uh, for terms like incorporate 
wills, you know, so forth, like all these legal terms. And we kind of really grew with paid search and built a moat around that. So obviously the rest is history because LegalZoom is listed, you know, it's 2 billion plus, you know, so really incredible, you know, rocket ship that you guys built there. I guess, you know, you you were part of, of the whole uh, craziness for, for of like building something from nothing for about 10 years, you know, with uh, LegalZoom. And then eventually, you know, the next idea comes knocking. I mean, at this point, you've built something meaningful, you know, something that has legs, something that has great success. So why turning page, Brian? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I, I, I often ask myself the same question. I'm like, what, what's wrong with you? How can you keep wanting to start companies? Um, but for me, it's just the, I looked back at my time at LegalZoom. And the most fun I had was the earliest days of building. Right. It, it truly was. It, was. it was when, you know, four or five, six people were at the company. We would iterate quickly. We would come up with ideas and try things. And there weren't many people to report to because we, we hadn't taken in outside capital at that point. It was just it was just us. You know, we were just hustling and building. And it was just so much fun, even though we were broke. We had no money. <laughs> we, were, we were eating ramen and peanut butter jelly sandwiches every day. But it was fun. You know, and I look back at that time so fondly, and it was just like that grind, right? The 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 the, the initial stages where anything is possible, and I just got addicted to that. And so I came up with an idea uh, with my wife at the time uh, to do a new type of business model online. It was very early. Uh, it was a very early subscription e-commerce model uh, for shoes, and it was called Shoe Dazzle. Uh, and we started that. Uh, I started that after about ten years at LegalZoom. I started Shoe Dazzle with my wife and um, with Kim Kardashian uh, at the time, and it was the the idea would be a shoe of the month club for for women. Right, so every month you would get a choice of shoes to choose from based on an algorithm that shows shoes for you, uh, and so forth. So, you know, it was again, super early in terms of e-commerce uh, subscription, we launched the company and it just took off. And we hit like, I think $10 million in revenue, of run rate revenue within probably four or five months, right? And just kind of took off out the gate and just started growing and growing and growing it. Um, eventually uh, sold it to a company called Textile uh, down in El Segundo. And Textile has done well with it since. Um, they also own a bunch of other brands like Savage by Hunter is called. And, uh, some others, uh, Fabletics and some other brands. Um, so we had a lot of fun building that. And Kim Kardashian is amazing. Uh, deserves everything that she has accomplished today. And and how was that experience of going through an M and A transaction? Because this was your your first M and A experience. So what did you learn? You know, from going through something like that. You know, I learned that bankers are right half the time. <laughs> Um, that basically a lot of it is is just so nuanced. A lot, of, nothing is set in stone when it comes to M and A. There's all sorts of creative deal structures that you can accomplish, um, and the 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 whole thing is just get to the finish line because there's so many things that could derail any M and A process. And if you know, it's just like starting a company. There's so many reasons why you shouldn't start a company, and if you listen to any of those reasons, nothing would ever get. And so I felt the same way about the first M&A process is that there are so many days where you're like, oh, my God, the deal's not going to happen. 
right? And then the next day you wake up and you're like, no, we're just going to power through it. You know, we'll come up with solutions as, as we go. And that was it. It was just more like solutions, solving problems up until the day that, you know, the money's wired. So one of the things that is interesting too is obviously with Shoe Dazzle, it was the first experience with a celebrity now being there on the, on the founding, you know, team. Um, and since then, you know, you've done it, you know, multiple times, whether it's the honors, the honest, you know, with Jessica Alba, which we're going to be talking about right now, but then also arena club with the, um, with Derek Jeter. So what did you get from the experience too of Shoe Dazzle that now it's like something that has been a common pattern that you've had on your next companies of starting something with a celebrity? Yeah. So I actually, it's even before Shoe Dazzle, it was with, with LegalZoom. Uh, my partner at that time was uh, Robert Shapiro, the attorney. And That's at right. that time, he was the world, one of the most world-famous attorneys um, uh, because of the O.J. Simpson trial. Now, the reason why we started working with, with, I call him Bob, if that's okay. So the reason we started working with Bob Shapiro, it was really for credibility, right? So remember I said LegalZoom was very early. This is back in 99, 2000, 2001. People were scared of the internet. They were scared to put credit card information into their computer. They didn't know where it was going, right? And, and there's a lot of trust issues and so forth when it came to the internet. And so we realized very quickly that with legal documents, a lot of legal documents, we're asking for a lot of personal information, not just your credit card information, but your bank account information, your mortgage information. There's so many things that we needed. Um, and so we needed to build instant trust with our customers. So we decided, okay, let's put Bob front and center because everyone knows him as a, as a great lawyer. Um, and so we put him front and center to, to add that credibility. But what we realized is that every time he went on to television, like on CNN or, or whatever it was, and he would talk about LegalZoom, we would get orders, right? More people would order. And we're like, wow, we, we, we brought him on for credibility, but what we're getting is marketing. <laughs> And and so that's that's what happened was that it was very very early influencer marketing if you, and I knew that model worked because I saw firsthand every time he was he he did a, a, an article like for uh, press he would mention LegalZoom we get orders so I knew that whatever company I started next I would want to work with someone who could get us you know publicity and so at that time Kim Kardashian was just starting her career uh, she was a stylist at the time and she was uh, in season one of Keeping Up with Kardashians. And my wife fell in love with her. Just like she's she's great, she's the future, and this is super early. And and so we decided, okay, let's go talk to Kim. We had met her through Bob. Uh, so Bob Shapiro used to work with Kim's dad, Robert Kardashian. They had some cases together, and so that's how we met Kim. Um, and Kim loved the idea for She Dazzle. She just she loved it. And so we we decided let's go do this, and we watched it, and it was it was a lot of fun. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either 
knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance you know that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition so that gap that i found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when i met my co-founder at pantera mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. How amazing, because uh, Kim Kardashian right now, you know, is probably one of the biggest celebrities eh, that one can think of. Now, for the next chapter with The Honest Company, how did the idea of The Honest Company come to mind? And, and how did you get Jessica Alba to, to jump in? Actually, yeah, it was the, it was the opposite, actually. Um, so the idea came from Jessica Alba, uh, and she came and got me. Um, so I'm friends with her husband, Cash, and he's a great guy. And Cash had told me that Jessica was working on a new company and needed some, some advice and some consulting and so forth. So I met up with Jessica a few times. Um, really loved the idea of, you know, what she was working on, which was trying to create a non-toxic world, right? And the idea would be to start with babies first, because that was the way into people's homes. Because it's really when a mother has a child for the first time, their first child especially, they, they think, you know, I'm going to do anything I can to protect this child, including feeding my child organic foods and only surrounding this child with, with healthy products. Um, and so that was the, the idea for The Honest Company was to help create a non-toxic world. Let's get into your home and let's build you know, a brand from there. Um, so that was the idea. Uh, so we launched the company uh, with baby products. So we launched with diapers, uh, non-toxic diapers, wipes, uh, baby shampoo and lotions and bubble bath. I mean, those were the first five products that we launched. And it, oh, I'm sorry. And a healing balm too. The healing bomb were great, um, but yeah, so it was it was it was a really fun one. But Jessica came and approached me to to help her build it, and I said yes, and it was off to the races. So in this case, a mission driven business. So yeah. uh, what did you get, you know, from 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 building a company like that and being mission driven and and getting that type of following too from moms, you know, that really care about their babies and you know the products that they're putting on them and and things like that. Yeah, so it really it really was, you know, very mission driven. Every person at the company believed in what we were doing, and that leads to something very special. It just leads to everyone seeing the end goal and everyone holding hands and trying to reach that goal together. Right? It's 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 it's, it's a unifying force like like I've never seen. Right? So if you have an entire workforce that truly believes in what they're building, what they stand for, what the company stands for, what the company is trying to accomplish to make the world better, then it's amazing what you can get out of people and your team, right? And, and then you get investors to buy into that. 
right? So we, we met with a lot of investors and we chose to work with investors who truly believed in what we were trying to accomplish. So at the peak uh, of the valuation, that was 1.8 billion. So the honest company, you guys took the company public. What was it like, you know, to, uh, to take a company public? What was that experience like? It was nice. By that time, I had gone to start BAM Ventures, but I remember the feeling of just knowing that one of the companies had gone public. It was interesting. Both LegalZoom and The Honest Company went public in the same year, even though we started The Honest Company much later than LegalZoom. Uh, but they both went, went out, and so I was on a high. Honestly, it was like it was a pretty great feeling to have two companies go public in the, in the same year. If you had to, like, probably I'm sure that you reflected, you know, a lot during that year. And what would you say were the similarities? If you had to like pinpoint like the top three key ingredients that made those companies to be so successful and, and go public, what would you say those key ingredients were? You know, if I could just, it is it, really, it's about, it's about the team number one, right? You have to have just a really, really strong workforce. And nothing. There, there are no shortcuts when it comes to work. You, you have to, you have to put in your all, right? And if you have a whole group of folks putting in all their effort into something, good things happen, right? So at, at the end of the day, it's about team, and we have very strong teams at LegalZoom and at the Honest Company, extremely strong. Um, the, the other thing I would say is, is brand, right? So uh, people talk about brand. Uh, almost flippantly today, like everything's a brand, right? But what does that really mean? You know, when, when we started LegalZoom, we realized that the legal industry was pretty large, but yet there was no brand name in law at that time, outside of some personal injury attorneys and, and so forth, right? But we just figured if you can build a brand name in law, like the only name people know, right, when they think legal, then it's probably worth a lot of money and we can build something substantial. And the same thing with the honest company. We we really felt like that we could really build a brand that represents non-toxic living, right? A non-toxic healthy lifestyle. And building a brand it, it's it takes time, right? It takes money, but most importantly, it takes extreme consistency in the delivery of your promise. Right. If you can consistently deliver what you promise, you will win over time. Right. You will build a brand that people love. And that and that's yeah. I mean, you if you think of the best brands in the world, that's what they do. Right. They deliver what they promise. That's right. That's integrity. Eh? You yeah. deliver on your word. Now, one of the things here that you were alluding to is you decided to start your own uh venture arm, no, your own venture business. What would you say triggered that and and how has it been to experience the venture world from the other side of the table? Yeah, so so for me is uh, I I'm like the accidental venture capitalist I call myself because I started angel investing super early. So anytime I made a little bit of money from LegalZoom or some other companies I'd started, I would just put it right back into the ecosystem because I I sat in a position where I would meet you know, a lot of great entrepreneurs and hear a lot of ideas and folks would come to me and ask for some advice and, you know, about scaling, raising capital, hiring, you know, whatever it is, marketing and so forth. So I would help and 
provide some advice. And every now and then I'd be like, gosh, I really like you and I really like your idea. Can I invest? Right. So I started investing small checks, you know, initially and started, you know, investing more and more. And then I woke up one day and realized I had, you know, north of a hundred angel investments. I was like, oh my gosh, this is actual portfolio. Um, and so I decided to partner up with a, a friend of mine and we started um, BAM Ventures to put more structure around my investing, my startup investing. That's the fund is called um, BAM Ventures, B-A-M Ventures. It stands for Brian and Mira. Mira's my wife. Um, and so we started the fund about 10 years ago, uh, initially with mostly our own capital, but now uh, we do have outside LPs and the fund size is pretty small still. We're, we're a micro fund and we invest into the earliest stages of companies. So what is the uh, things that uh, that you typically are like, my God, we got to invest on this company. What does that look like? Well, usually it's a, it really is about the team. We have, we have okay. a very simple rule at BAM. We have to love the team and not hate the idea. That's what it comes down to. So for us, it's because, especially at the stage we invest in, it's all about the team, right? So a good team could take a horrible idea and turn it good. You know, a bad team could take a great idea and it'll just end up bad. And so that's what we realized super early when we invest. Um, but yeah, we, we've invested in some amazing entrepreneurs. Uh, so we invested in Honey. And when I say invested, it's usually you know very first check or early check. So companies like Honey and Scopely and Thrive Market, Away Luggage, the list goes on and on. We've had some some pretty spectacular winners, Wondery and pretty litter. And I can, again, I can go on and on. So obviously at this point, you know, you've done a bunch of companies. Now you're able to also experience, you know, the venture world from the other side of the table. Wow. What point, you know, that's the idea of arena club, you know, doing it again, you know, building something from nothing. At, that, at what point does that idea come knocking and why did you think it was meaningful enough for you to take action? You know, it was, um, I, I've been a card collector, a baseball card collector, since I was a kid, right? So my dad took me to a Dodger game, uh, and Steve Garvey was our first baseman. I was so excited uh, after that game. I, I rode my bike to uh, the local cards and comics shop in Fountain Valley, California, and I bought a Steve Garvey rookie card. Um, and I was just, I never stopped. You know, most of my friends stopped collecting uh, in junior high school or high school or wherever, whenever, but I, I just kept going. I just love the industry. I love the hobby uh, of collecting cards. And so it's the first time I've started a company where it, it's one of my passions. Like I'm really passionate about this, right? Like I, I was um, passionate about a lot of the missions and the, and the visions of companies. Like I was, I, I love that LegalZoom was bringing affordable legal services. I love Shudazzle's helping women feel beautiful every month for only $39, right? Or the honest company and trying to build a non-toxic world. But I was never, I, I would say I was never passionate about, you know, incorporation documents or passionate about high heel shoes or passionate about diapers, right? I was always passionate about their missions, right? But, but this is the first time I'm actually passionate about the actual product. I love cards. So baseball, basketball, football cards, uh, I've, I've amassed kind of a, a pretty large collection, but I've always also had issues with the with the hobby. Um, most of those issues related to 
think the way things were getting done, like from the, the grading companies to some of these marketplaces, uh, you know, just had issues with them and thought I could do it better using technology. So the idea behind Arena Club was bringing more transparency and technology to the industry. So what was that point where, uh, you know, you and Derek Jeter decide that it's time to partner up on this? Yeah, so I met Derek years ago at, at, a, at a charity event, um, really hit it off with him. Great guy, super smart, super reliable. And I remember he said, Brian, if you ever start something in, in sports, anything related to sports, let me know, right? And so came up with this idea for Arena Club and it was stewing. And so I reached out to, to Derek and he loved it. You know, he loved the idea and he, he was a memorabilia collector. Um, and so made a lot of sense to him. And so we went and started it. We, we launched this thing about a year ago to the public. We were working on it for about a year before that. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we were grading cards. We have a marketplace that you can buy, sell, and trade. It's kind of like a, an online card show, if you will. So what you could, it's like card shows are very popular. They, they happen every weekend throughout the country. Uh, but what we try to do is emulate that excitement of going to a card show, but bringing it to you online. And then, obviously, you guys have uh, raised uh, a little bit of money there, too, so $20 million. So, obviously, at this point, you would have anyone throwing money at you with all these uh, successes that you've uh, built. So, how did you decide, you know, and how did you filter for this uh, outside capital that you were getting in? Yeah, so, yeah, we were in a fortunate position where we could raise, you know, the amount of money that we would need to make sure that this could have some longevity and give ourselves a real chance. Uh, so we raised the twenty million, and we only raised it from people we knew, so that I've worked with in the past. And so it was um, uh, Jeremy Liu uh, from Lightspeed Venture Capital. It was Neil Sakara, uh, who used to be a general catalyst, who backed me before, but yeah, he started his own fund uh, called Defy Ventures. Uh, Courtney uh, Reem over at M13 is a close friend of mine, and has worked with me and invested in me in the past. And so. Really, just the investors that I've worked with in the past. So, obviously, with investment also comes vision. So, Brian, imagine you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Arena Club is fully realized. What does that world look like? Wow, that's a great question. I think a lot of it is going to be happening in the future. And I think to realize that we will take some time. So, everything from you know, virtual reality showrooms uh, to, you know, quicker transfers tokenized to memorabilia being being tokenized and so forth. So it'll be it'll be a little different than it is today, um, but using much more the the technologies that will be available in the near future. So I want to put you now into a time machine mm -hmm. and I want to bring you back in time. I'm going to bring you back in time to that moment where in 99, you're at Skadden, you're giving your notice, and let's say you're able to stop that younger Brian and have a sit down with that younger self and being able to have the opportunity of giving that younger Brian one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that before, but I would probably tell myself, be more patient, be more patient. Because a lot of times, you know, entrepreneurs like myself 
fall into the trap. And that trap is grow at all cost. Right. And I actually, in hindsight, made that mistake a couple times, really, where you just want to grow, grow, grow. You're not really paying as much attention to the fine details as you should in terms of you know, how, how are these impacting my margins? How is that decision impacting my employee base? You know, just you really got to like to slow it down and make sure you're building a strong foundation. Now, I, I had a, my partner at LegalZoom at the time was uh, Brian Liu. Who is literally the almost a polar opposite of right? So I'm I'm more of a visionary. I'm pretty aggressive when it comes to growth, and I, I just like to build and build quickly. He's definitely much more detailed, right? He's buttoned up. He will check every document. He reads every word and everything, right? He's he's that guy, and we really balance each other out in a lot of ways. People joke who who know us. People joked. At the time that if LegalZoom was just my idea, it probably would have fizzled out after a little while. And then if it was just Brian Liu's idea, it would have never launched. <laughs> so it's a, it's a give and take, a yin and yang kind of situation. So every company I started after that, I, I, I took from that. And my co-founder was always my counterbalance. I love that. So Brian, for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, well, you can hit me up on Instagram at, at Brian, wait, Arena Club Lee, sorry, at Arena Club Lee, L-E-E. Uh, you can DM me, um, and that's probably the best way to reach me. Amazing. Well, hey, Brian, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much, Alejandro. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.